Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Hey, hey, waka waka. <laughs> That's like a uh, a uh, Sesame Street re- reference, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Fozzie Bear. Fozzie Bear, okay. Yeah. How many Sesame Street characters can you do? Um, That's about the only one. Well, I mean, any voice that sounds like Fozzie's is about as close as I can get. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I think that covers like four or five, seven characters. Yeah, it's like used to all be one dude doing doing a whole bunch, right? <laughs> yeah, it used to be Jim Henson with his hand at those puppets, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now it's probably two dudes doing the whole thing, and one of them sounds like you. <laughs> that could be it. No? All right. Hey, you know what? I'm really excited. I you got, always are. I, I like that about you. I, I get excited easy. I'm always excited. I'm always ready. That's what they say. There you go. I, I got uh, uh, in the uh, on the FedEx truck. I got uh, my Blickman uh, top tier system. Ah, yeah. I tell you, these shows are finally paying off, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got much a, assembly required, but it's worth it. I got me a top tier. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't even opened the boxes. I've been really busy with uh, technical edits on the Eastbook. So. Uh, I carried it into the garage. I mm-hmm. confirmed that the boxes were not damaged, and then uh, there they sit. So hopefully, it's kind of yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting how I mean the packaging, you know, the shipping on those things is pretty remarkable. I mean, mm-hmm. to be able to fit that whole brew stand into a few, just a couple boxes is pretty cool. Yeah, well, mine came in nine boxes. So okay. I'm like, yeah. well, I don't know. He probably threw a whole bunch of extra stuff in there. Uh, Could be. John Blickman is uh, seems a pretty generous guy, and uh, I think yeah. uh, you know that's one of the reasons that he's sponsoring the show. I think it's not just uh, you know good business, but it's also uh, yeah he wants to help further uh, home brewing, and I think he thinks that uh, what we do is uh, mm-hmm. worthwhile. So he's sponsoring the show, he's paying for the show, so the listeners don't have to. And uh, I think uh, that's great stuff. If you uh, appreciate that, if you appreciate the show, make sure you go to uh, com and Blickman is B-L-I-C-H-M-A-N-N.com. And, uh, you know, check out their stuff and, you know, send them a nice email, tell them you, you appreciate it. Because uh, I know he, he likes to get those emails. He's like, hey, you know, it's really, uh, you know, touching to that people would uh, take the time to let them know that they appreciate it. So, uh, you know, do that. Go down to your homebrew shop and uh, ask to see some of the Blickman stuff. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, the Blickman beer gun coming up because we're doing these packaging shows. And 
We'll have uh, John Blickman on and uh, ask him about that as well. Cause, uh, Let me correct the website real quick. It's BlickmanEngineering.com. Yeah. Engine, you got to get the engineering, engineering. in there. Blickman Otherwise, you get a porn site. Human Resources Management and Development, German company. Oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> my mistake. Uh, don't tell them you appreciate them, but uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, you know, it's been a long morning already. Uh, <laughs> yep. Well, you had to get up at crack of dawn, drive over to Concord. Yeah, yeah. Crack it, crack it, God knows when. Over to Pacheco, to the right. mean, mean streets of Pacheco, and uh, fight my way in here. <clears throat> you know, but I'm I'm used to I'm used to tough road trips like that. Speaking of tough road trips, uh, Peter Simons and I we're getting in the uh, the Pope Mobile, and we're driving uh, the twenty five hundred miles out to uh, uh, the NHC in June in Minneapolis. And we're going to uh, we're going to be hitting like two breweries a day for seven eight days until we get there, and then a couple of days around in Minneapolis before the conference. So uh, I posted all the the details in uh, the more uh, the uh, Brewing Network forums. If you go to uh, thebrewingnetwork.com and uh, check the forums there in the events section, I've posted it to uh, Peter and Jamil's uh, road trip, and uh, you know. A lot of people uh, might be interested in something like this. Like you, you'd be interested, but you got to work, you know. So it, it eliminates a lot of people. But <laughs> you know, when Peter said, "Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in going," uh, you know, he's like, "Yeah, I'm on board." I said, my first question to him was, "Now you've seen the RV, right?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this is not like you know some state of the art fancy, uh, you know. Uh, $300,000, $400,000 RV. This is a uh, 14-year-old, uh, you know, 1996. Uh, <laughs> She's a beaut, though. Diesel yeah. uh, <laughs> diesel chugger. It's true. I, she isn't one of those modern <laughs> ones that you see, like, the bands driving on it. But I do like that RV. You have a, yeah. you got a good you got a good little truck there. Yeah, Justin spent a week uh, living in that thing in, in, uh, when we went to the Denver uh, conference. It's real yeah. cool. It's yeah. I, I like that style. Yeah, you got the tap handles up by the driver's seat. <laughs> <laughs> Have those been installed since I was last there? Uh oh, oh of course, you know, it's it's all rigged out for uh tricked out for for a fine uh, road trip, but uh yeah, going with with uh Peter and then we'll uh we'll hit a bunch of spots. So, yeah, we've got uh, homebrew club meetings, we've got uh brewery events, we got all sorts of stuff kind of coming together and uh, a lot of chances to to meet up and yeah, even if we're just stopping for lunch at a at a brew pub or something, come on by and uh, you know say hi and and hang out with us. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That's that's the whole reason for the trip. It's I mean you can try lots of different beers, which is great. We'll enjoy that. But uh, they're really be pretty cool. cool dropping in on some homebrew meetings. Yeah, the really cool thing is just meeting up with uh, you know other homebrewers and saying hey and and uh, just chatting. You know that's that's one of the great things about this hobby is uh, oh yeah you, you know meeting all sorts of like-minded people and and having having a blast i was just down in san antonio last weekend for their alamo city cerveza fest yeah yeah yeah. I, that was a blast I, I really wanted to go and uh you know we we said we'd both go uh last yeah. year when when you couldn't make it because of the uh the fires and then uh i'm assuming they were going to schedule it around the same time of year and then like oh we got to change it to uh you know, April. I'm like, well, just don't make it the weekend of my daughter's birthday. 
so they made it the weekend of my daughter's birthday. I can't miss my daughter's birthday. So uh, unfortunately, I couldn't go. But uh, yeah, it's, it's too. It would have been cool to have you there because um, we had a we had a great time. We had uh, the beer Olympics at the Freetail Brewery on Friday night, mm-hmm. and uh, which consisted of beer can bocce ball. Yeah, which, uh, I you know I'm not the world's best bocce ball player. I guess especially when it comes to cans of Miller Lite. But uh, you know, <laughs> it was, that was a that was a blast. Then we had a green sack race, the relay race, yeah. and uh, we won by our team won by one second there. And then it was time for beer trivia, and uh, I'm I'm proud to say that uh, I was able to to pull it out of a tie the last minute with a two point. Well, actually, we were one point behind. It was a two point question. Uh-huh. What is the number of uh, microbreweries, or actually, what is the number of breweries in the United States as of December 2009? And uh, you knew I, the answer. I, I pulled it in. I said 1,500, and the actual answer was 1,537 or something like that. And uh, so we won by one point. Wow! And much much rejoicing was had, and clinking of tankards and such. Wow! Boy, it was fun. Bring, bringing it strong there, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah a, the, it's a good thing I wasn't there. I would have embarrassed us all. <laughs> nah, would have been totally right. I would say no, no, Palmer. It's not fifteen hundred. Come on, it's more like thirty-five hundred. You got your head up your ass, and then we would have said thirty-five hundred and would have lost. So a couple of people did. They they one one group said like nine hundred, and then somebody else said three thousand. But uh, yeah, and it was a great time there. Yeah. Just a great time. Oh, it's it. San Antonio is a beautiful city. I've been there once. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a great group of people with a, with a great event. So I would love to have been there. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, if they can uh, if they can schedule it where it doesn't interfere with either of my daughter's birthdays, I can miss, like, my anniversary wedding anniversary. I can miss my birthday, <laughs> yeah. my wife's birthday. I, you know, I just can't miss, uh, uh, you know, my kid's birthdays. That's just something I won't miss. So if it doesn't uh in, in conflict with either of those uh april or september then uh i'm 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 there so uh sign me up if uh if possible i'd love to be there and you got any other uh trips coming up uh no not you're going to be at an nhc as well i'll be at be at nhc and i'm gonna, i'm going to be um af- on sunday after nhc mm-hmm. uh i'm taking a plane quickly down to milwaukee Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna do a a book signing at the uh, northern brewer uh, location in milwaukee yeah that's a beautiful Uh, store out there yeah looking forward to stopping in there and seeing Mm -hmm. people bunch of great people out there and uh some nice beer out there i was very impressed with the uh the homebrew beer as well uh out there in milwaukee so hopefully uh you you homebrewers you know bring bring john your your good stuff like you did when uh, justin and i were out there we both uh, really love the beer. We were very impressed. So uh, we even did a tasting uh, during uh-huh. one of the shows, and uh, I, I think we didn't really have anything negative to say. I mean, we're like finding, you know, uh, comments for improvements, but really they were all very good uh, right out of the gate. So yeah, yeah. I ju- when I judged last weekend at you know, Alamo City, I mean, very. F- I don't. I don't remember one bad beer. Um, you know, a lot of good beers. And then, I, then later in the afternoon, I helped judge best of show, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of great beers. You know, for the best of show round. Yeah. But uh, man, doing twenty tw- around to twenty beers for best of show is tough. 
especially after just finishing up a pub crawl. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, uh, I suppose we should get back to work. Uh, We got our packaging show, which is uh, we're part. This is will be part two of the package gasm. And uh, we had left off uh, just after uh, capping capping bottles. So why don't we do this? Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll get right into the gasm. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand. Most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand. The only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Calling all homebrewers. Entries for the Samuel Adams Longshot American Homebrew Contest are due May 17th through May 28th. There's still time to get your beers entered. This year, the homebrew contest is all about Category 23, specialty beers. So start being creative and brew up a beer that doesn't fit into any of the traditional BJCP-style categories. Let your creative juices flow and enter your Category 23 homebrew. Here's your chance to have your beer brewed, packaged, and nationally distributed in the 2011 Longshot Package. And four finalists will be awarded a trip to the 2010 Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado, where Samuel Adams will announce the winners. Visit SamuelAdams.com for all the details. Get your bottles in by May 28th, and as always, the entry fee is free. The Samuel Adams Longshot American Homebrew Contest. This year's Longshot could be all yours. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. 
Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. And now, Northern Brewer brings you another installment of The The Time Brewers! Three brewers, three different eras, all caught in the same fermento chronological vortex. Traveling through time, righting brewing wrongs, and bringing beery wisdom to where and whenever it may be needed. Journey now with Dr. Jean de Clerc. Greetings, listeners! 20th century Belgian super brewing scientist. Please, please, the yeast and the enzymes do the hard work. I am merely a facilitator. Icebach. What, what? 21st century Norwegian American home brewer rapper from St. Paul. Listen, listen, I bust attenuation maxims and my yakima magnums make my lager so smooth it's like a laxative. My spit got that static power after I mash for an hour. I got naked ladies in my brew room all covered in hot flowers. I swing a propagation flask like a five-liter dick. Get your nasty mid-drinking group on ass back to 1026, boo! And Brother Abelard. Off that were witch. Be gone! 12th century English monk and perpetuator of brewing superstition. My holy rod of divine bubbling shall make if any ale to froth by the grace of heaven. And a modicum of bog myrtle hurts not either. Brought to you by Northern Brewer, your one-stop homebrew supplier throughout the entire Fermento Chronosphere. The widest selection of quality malt, hops, yeast, and equipment with $7.99 flat rate shipping. Tune in next time for more Time Brewers! Ewa, what's your feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, Rick. We're talking package gasm. And, uh, beer. Uh, <coughs> yeah, we t- turn beer into beer. Uh, speaking of which, I, you know, I, I, I went through the uh, last show that we did on packaging and, uh, I had a couple of comments, believe it or not. <laughs> Most of the stuff, you know, I agree with everything we said and we, we covered things in, in a fair amount of detail. I was I was surprised. Every time I thought, oh, you know, we should we should mention this, we ended up mentioning it. So I thought that was pretty good. One thing that I think um, I've come to realize uh, is that I think here on Brew Strong and on all the, and the shows that we do in Canyon Brew and all that, that we, we have an assumption that people are, you know, they've listened to us rant and rave about yeast health for the past four and a half years and <laughs> it's been long. yeah and uh uh you know so now everybody's taking you know high quality uh you know cultures and they're you know making starters and they're ensuring perfect yeast health and uh you know pitching the right amount and and so when we say yeah don't do secondary uh you know it's 100 percent accurate well 
you know, I'm still getting email from people saying, all right, so I sprinkled my dry yeast on, on top of the the wort, and I'm like, no, 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 no. So I, I think maybe, you know, part of the reason why people um, went with uh, – uh, Rack into a secondary. Uh, secondary was they were using dry yeast and they were sprinkling on the surface. And when you do that, uh, you know, half of that yeast dies immediately. So, you know, if you've added 10 grams of yeast to your beer, five grams of dead yeast from day one is laying on the bottom. And after a week, that dead yeast, um, you know, the lysis of the yeast is going to occur and, you know, they'll start breaking down and you end up with uh, problems. So, if that's how you're you're pitching your yeast and and making your beers, then yeah, you probably do want to do secondary because you got a bunch of dead crud on the bottom, um, and you probably could get uh, some off flavors from that. So, um, yeah, that would rehydrating be the, the dry exception. yeast is easy to do. Just get some, right. take some cooled boiled water, and it's important that it's boiled. Um, pour it, and you know, once it's cooled down to like seventy to hundred degrees you know just warm barely warm to the touch pour into a ziploc baggie and then pour your dry yeast in there <laughs> get most of the air out uh-huh. squeeze it around and you can let that sit and it'll rehydrate you know you can shake the bag to keep it um you know or to help it rehydrate and mix up mm-hmm. but by doing that you know you keep you keep the oxygen exposure away for, until you're ready to pitch to your wort, and that keeps mm-hmm. triolose and, and glycogen reserves intact. So, so uh, I'd be remiss, and people would uh, expect me to say, you're suggesting you squeeze your bag and, and shake it around. <laughs> That's right. To get, yes. it, get, it, get it ready. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, uh, so that was one good point that uh, I think uh, we needed to make about uh, secondary and yeast. And uh, the other thing uh, that we were talking about was capping, uh, capping uh, beer bottles. And um, one question somebody had during the uh, the live uh, Q&A or during the, the chat at the end was uh, the oxygen permeability of wax. And you were going <laughs> to look up uh, oxygen <laughs> permeability of various waxes and kind of give us a rundown of whether you thought uh, how much that would help or not. Yeah, I did. There's not not a lot of information on it uh, out there on the web on it, about it, but um, what I did find out was that uh, the waxes that are used for sealing bottles, um, canuba wax and so on, beeswax, uh, they have about um, twice or, or half the oxygen permeability of high density uh, polyethylene plastic. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, and that is, you know, that's, that's your bucket. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, um, your average, like, yeah, uh, brewing bucket. bucket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is, which is pretty leaky of O2. Yeah. Um, and it's about a tenth as permeable as, uh, some other oxygen barrier plastics. Mm-hmm. Or, excuse me, ten times more permeable than some other, uh, plastics out there, you know, oxygen barrier plastics. Mm hmm. So, I believe it does help, you know, especially what you're doing when you dip the top of the bottle in wax is you're kind of providing an extra seal around the the edge of the gasket, you know, contact to the bottle. Um, But, you know, it's not perfect. I think you'd have to uh, 
boy, I don't know what you you may have to dip it like uh, five, ten times, make a candle out of that puppy before you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So I think we can say a couple of things for sure. One is that um, it certainly doesn't hurt. It's right. going to add some additional protection, especially if you got a leaky cap. You know, if your capping isn't isn't very good. And um, the other is that uh, the thicker the wax, the more protection it's going to offer. There are some waxes that offer more oxygen pr- protection. I guess with the microcrystalline waxes will. Right. Offer more than the and the you can get those at the wine shop, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the best wax to use, and and like you're saying, make a make a big ass candle out of it. Maybe put a wick in it. Yeah, and then just you can you can <laughs> light the bottle and and burn it every once in a while, and then when it finally melts away, it's time to open it. That would make a that would make a cool birthday present, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. There you go, a bottle of mead or something, <laughs> and uh, as a candle. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. I watch somebody like you know kill themselves with this thing. Now we'll be in trouble. But yeah, right. uh, you know, one of the problems that uh, I think uh, you know comes with uh, these various uh, caps and capping these bottles. I, I believe uh, you know Sierra Nevada. They used to use uh, a twist-off cap, and right. they discovered that the twist-offs uh, allowed more oxygen to leak through into the beer than the uh, regular crown caps without the twist-offs. So they switched to those. Which is, uh, you know, say anything you want about Sierra Nevada. I tell you one thing I know for sure. They are so much about the beer and beer quality that yeah. it's almost nothing else matters to them. That's right. Um, so, uh, you know, being, being good uh, stewards of, of beerdom and uh, the environment and things like that matter to them as well. But um, uh, they're good people and they're totally about the beer. So... Uh, you know that that the cap and and how well you cap it and crimp it and things like that uh, definitely matter. Uh, somebody posted in the forum something about the Emily capper and and the cheap wings on the capper and stuff. Uh, you know that's true. I think they they wear out and 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 get uh, get loose and things like that. And and the type of bottle and you know there's such a variety of bottles and things that definitely will make a big difference in uh, how well you're capping something. But like we suggested in the last show. You take that bottle once you've capped it, you know, keep the gas part up at the top of the bottle, uh, you know, give it a little shake and then put it under a uh, under some liquid in a in a bucket. And let it sit there, and if you see bubbles slowly start to rise out of it, then uh, you know yep. it's uh, poor definitely seal. a poor seal. Well, and it has to be carbonated, so um, that's true. You know, if it's totally flat, then it's not going to work. But when you're counter pressure filling, which we'll get to in, in coming up. Um, then uh, that's a good way. That's how I check every so often to see uh, how the seal is doing. Um, but you can, you know, if you're finding that, uh, you know, you've you've uh, done your priming sugar, you bottled the beer, you capped it, you set it out to, uh, you know, in a warm space to, to carbonate, and then you find some bottles are carbonated and some aren't, that's a common problem. Uh, could be that you know you got poor capping uh, on some of the bottles. All right, well, and and that's the the next uh, series of questions I got for you, John. Now we've we've got the beer in the bottles. How long is that going to take to carbonate? Where where should we put it? Should we put it in the fridge? Should we put it uh, in the stove? Well, uh, <laughs> direct sunlight. Yeah. Room temperature, you know, um, probably seventy sixty to seventy seventy eighty degrees even. Um, for carbonating is good because that's going to kick up the activity of the yeast that's in the bottle. Mm-hmm. They will go to town on that priming sugar 
and carbonated. Um, so for the first week or two that you, after you've, you've primed and, and capped it, I would say leave it at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll get the carbonation done. Once it's carbonated, now you want to think about long-term storage and long, long-term flavor stability. Now it's time to cool the beer down, mm-hmm. um, you know, and store it, store it cool or store it cold, you know, for best flavor stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, quick question for you: the warmer you you store the beer for, or set the the warmer the place you put the beer for uh, the carbonation phase. Uh, does that make it carbonate faster? Yeah, it, uh, it to a there's a there's a trade off. I mean, uh, if you got that beer up to you know hundred degrees, ten, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna. I think you're gonna really accelerate the staling or any mm-hmm. potential staling that could happen mm-hmm. to it. Right. So you know, sixty to seventy, maybe up to eighty mm-hmm. is is good for carbonating, mm-hmm. um, but you don't want to go hotter. Right. If you go too cold. Um, it it's can not, take a long time to carbonate, or it can even fail to carbonate. Right? If you go too cold, right? Right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, cap and then just immediately send it. You know, put it in the cellar or something, or stick it in the garage. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can, you know, if the temperature is down, you know, below sixty for an ale yeast, it may take months to carbonate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, now, what about? Uh, let's say you got a couple of cases of bottles. You stack them up, put them in boxes, stack them up, you put them somewhere, and, you know, they're sitting on the concrete floor or something and in the garage, and that tends to be cold. And But, you, you know, the air around it, you say, oh, well, that's, you know, 70 degrees, should be fine. And then you find that the, the bottles on top have carbonated and the bottles on the bottom case uh, in the middle didn't carbonate very well. I mean, what, what's happening there? Yeah, well, you know, down the down in contact with the concrete floor, maybe it's temperature is actually around fifty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depends on what part of your country you're in. Where, where I am down here, um, you know, concrete's a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it could be it could be much warmer uh, at the, on the floor than it is up in the air. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. So main, you know, when you're when you're carbonating the beer. The you know primed and bottled beer. Uh, pay attention to temperature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially I know uh, you know uh, big breweries. You know they'll load all the stuff onto a pallet and uh, you know park pallet on top of pallet and and stuff like this. And then you know the inner core of that that uh, pallet can have a different temperature than you know the the bottles on the outside if. Uh, you know, if they don't hold a you know a good circulation and steady temperatures and things like that, that could be a factor as well. And you can end up with uneven carbonation. And one of the things that commercial brewers want to do is have, you know, the same carbonation in every beer. You know, and right. uh, it's it's not nearly as important, I guess, in home brewing. But I know everybody wants to to brew the perfect beer, so that's a that's a big deal. Now, Jamil, I mean, you may know about this better than I. How many? How many professional breweries are bottle conditioning their beers these days? Is it just the Belgians, or do we have some here in the states? Uh, well, you know, Sierra Nevada is, is a big one, and uh, you know, there's a there's a more and more I think are looking at uh, natural carbonation or you know bottle conditioning um, their beers. You know, they believe that it offers additional protection and uh, for the beer, so you get the best beer possible to the to the consumer. And, 
it is, you know, more expense. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, it, it, it takes more effort to, uh, to properly bottle condition. So I don't know that everybody's doing it, but, uh, you know, uh, I think more and more are. I'm not sure what the numbers would be. Maybe the Brewers Association would know. But uh, my sense mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, a number of breweries are, you know, uh, at least interested in or they'll, they'll do it for certain beers at least uh, where okay. they feel like, uh, you know, it's uh, of a benefit to them. But yes, here in Nevada, they they do them all that way, which is impressive. They do a really good job of it too. You know, you get that really fine dusting of uh, yeast across the bottom of the bottle. You don't right. get big chunks. You know, I see breweries still that there's a big old slug of yeast in the bottom, like a quarter inch thick. It's like ah, a little too much yeast, a little too much yeast. But uh, yeah, Sierra Nevada. Uh, let's see. Um, all right, so. And again, you're saying it takes uh, generally a couple of weeks to uh, carbonate? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one to three weeks, depending on depending on how much, what your yeast level was, you know, how healthy that yeast was going into the bottle, uh-huh. you know, um, stuff like that. If, you know, if you've had, the, if you had had the beer in the fermenter for um, a month or two and then, you know, uh, primed, and bottled and didn't add any additional yeast. It's probably going to take three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, less yeast will be there. How long do you have to wait before you can drink those beers? Oh, uh, I, you know, as soon as it's carbonated. I mean, mm-hmm. check. Um, usually, the the the, the uh, yeast that's in there will settle out you know, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, just check the bottom of the bottle. Check your, when you pour it. Check your clarity. You know, check the and, you know as you open it. And mm-hmm. and, and if uh, if you have some bottles that failed to carbonate, let's say uh, all all of them have failed to carbonate. Or, you know, or you know, I've, well, I've opened. It's been a couple of weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks at room temperature. I put uh, two or three of them in the fridge. I open them and there's no. And yeah. they you know. Maybe there's a few. Seems like a little bit of bubbly in the uh, in the beer, but really not fully carbonated. What should I do? Well, you could make up um, a quick, you know, pseudo yeast starter mm-hmm. and uh, put a put a few drops of uh, yeast. You know, um, get that get that yeast uh, rehydrated. You know, what, you know, what kind of, yeah, get the yeast active, mm-hmm. and then you know, squirt a, a few a cc of uh, yeast into the, each bottle and recap them. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if if the beer has a bit of carbonation to it already, uh, you know, considerable amount of carbonation, it's just uh, it's carbonated, but not enough to your desire. You can't really do that because they'll gush all over the place when you add the yeast, won't they? Well, let's say it's bit. you know carbonated to two volumes. I expected three. Uh well, yeah. I mean, then it you becomes kind of dangerous. You, you, I guess it's going to foam. Yeah, you know, you may be able to, you may be able to Do quickly quick. drip some in and, and uh, recap it, but it's. I don't know that that's worth doing if you're trying to go from two to three. Um, you know, send it into competition and take the hit on carbonation level. Um, if I don't know, what would you do? I mean, if if you're trying yeah. to send it to competition, maybe you maybe it's mm-hmm. worth it trying to 
go from two to three. But for just uh, me, drinking, I, I just throw it away. Start over. Ah. <laughs> That's always my solution. Uh, no, I, can always I, make more. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd just send it in as is. I wouldn't even bother. I'd just like, yeah, yeah it's fine. You know, the judges won't know. Yeah. <laughs> they'll they'll be clueless anyways. That's to fine. be honest. When I'm when I'm even when I'm kegging my beer, mm-hmm. I always I carbonate it, and I really have no real uh, target of carbonation in mind. Mm-hmm. I mean. I'll set up the keg to me, 15 PSI, 20 PSI. And as long as I get some foam on top and a little bit of carbonation, you know, on the palate, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't try to target, uh, you know, carbonation right. per style. So what if you're, you're getting, um, you know, a couple bottles that don't carbonate? So I put two or three in the fridge and, you know, one's not carbonated at all and the other two seem fine. What might be going on there? Well, you, it uh, depends... Look at your look at how you added the priming sugar. Did you add it in uh, you know in a All bottling in a bucket? bucket. Uh-huh. Yeah, really mix it well. Mm-hmm. Or did you try to use um, you know a teaspoon per bottle kind of thing, or you know carbonation tab or uh, pellet? Right. Maybe um, you forgot to add the the yeah. sugar to one of the bottles if you did it that way, and and if it, you could, did it, it could in the bucket, the caps, you didn't too. mix it. All right, yeah. bad caps. Yeah, bad capping, bad uh-huh. caps. Um, could be a number. Yeah, and that, you know, there's, you know, if you're buying caps like discount caps, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes I think there's, you know, runs of caps that are for some reason not, uh, not the best caps in the world, but they don't throw them away. They end up just selling them, you know, by the <laughs> truckload to to somebody else. And um, you know, sometimes I think those end up in in homebrew shops. You know, they don't tell the homebrew shops there's anything funky with them. And, uh, you know, they're made of a weird, super stiff material or, you know, there's, you know, something off on the sizing or, you know, where they're sort of okay, but not perfect. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that Look can be a Look at your capper, case. too. Um, we were talking last week about, um, mm-hmm. you know, had the, did you, is, your, is the cup wearing out, the metal cup that actually makes the crimp? Right. Is that getting worn out? Yeah. Um, you know, look. You should see the edges of the crown cap kind of wrapping around the lip of the bottle, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get a, get a really good crimp on there. Yeah, yeah I uh, uh, wore out uh, one of the, the bells on those Emily cappers. Now, <clears throat> we've bottled and capped, you know, over 8,000 beers. So that pretty much wore, you know, wore out <laughs> at about, you know, 4,000, 5,000, it, it, you know, the, the little crown it's just way too loose and was not yep. providing a full crimp. It's still okay, but uh, you could actually visually see the difference between that and I bought another Emily capper, and you could see how it was really pulling those little side pieces down further. It was much tighter uh, cap. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, those things, they kind of flare out over time. You do it, use them enough, they, they eventually wear out. So, if uh, and, and in that case, you know they were all consistently um, a little loose. So uh, and you know there's yeah. variations in the bottle and all that stuff that can all that can all make a difference. And if you're trying to use reuse like twist off bottles and things like that, I think that also uh, can can cause uh, 
you know, look at the the differences in bottles. Maybe if you're getting different carbonation levels, or you know, if you're uh, uh, that can be one issue. Headspace well. too can be a can be a factor. Mm-hmm. I you know you'd think um, that the you know if you prime the prime all the bottles the same way, and some are a little you know it shouldn't matter if some are a little more full than others. Um, right. But oddly enough, the you know the carbonation is is generated by the yeast, um, comes up through the beer and fills the headspace, and it's almost that the or the factor of the headspace pressure uh, in establishing that equilibrium um, helps determine the amount of carbonation in that beer. Oddly mm-hmm. enough, hmm. so you know don't over you know I I always used to say well it doesn't matter how how high you fill it just you know, fill all the way to the top if you want, but mm-hmm. um, the beer will carbonate better if you give it, you know, half an inch to three quarters of an inch of headspace. Mm-hmm. At least, at least some headspace then. Yeah. Okay. Um, even up to an inch. Cool. Uh, so that's one other thing. If uh, if you're noticing uneven carbonation, right. check. Make sure you've got uniform fill levels. Give it an inch if you can. Right. Yeah. That's that's my that's my new model along with. Uh, Snap yourself off a nice fresh piece. That's okay, true. let's take a, a short break, and we'll come back. Let's get into uh, kegging. We'll be back after, after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for any economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zalashev and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard and polish your style accuracy with Jamil. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewingnetwork or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own. The how-to homebrew beer magazine. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. 
Brewmasters Warehouse and the brew builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. What's up, BN Army? Jake and Mike here from Brewing TV. Brewing TV is homebrew culture in video. Asking the big questions, who and why. We leave the how to the tubby know-it-alls. Check us out at brewingtv.com. The first webisode drops May 7th. Like Crosley's pants in a Louisiana jail cell. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the More Beer Deal of the Day at morebeer.com. Celebrity Voices Impersonated. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Wine guys. Wine, wine, wine. What's wrong with wine guys? Nothing. Oh, come on. Uh, let's see here. But they're not beer, guys. Beer. Uh, all right. Uh, okay, so I think we covered the, the bottling aspect of uh, packaging pretty good. Um, yeah. If there's anything we missed, you know, send in, a, uh, send in an email to the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe we should have covered labels, but eh, nah. Mm. All right, uh, kegs, kegs. So, all right, if you're uh, kegging, like we mentioned earlier, it's it's easier than bottles because you only clean one vessel for a batch of beer versus 48, 48. vessels for a batch of beer, right? Or 50 even. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the most important things, I think, is cleaning the kegs. Some people, they'll run a beer through it, and then they'll all they do is kind of like rinse it out and then they put another beer in there. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's okay, but for me, um, you know, I completely disassemble it. I take uh when I mean completely disassemble, I don't take apart the 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 uh pressure relief valve and things like that off of the lid, but I do remove the lid, I remove the uh the gasket from the lid. Right. I remove both of the in and out posts <clears throat> off the keg. I remove the O-rings off the keg. I take the little poppets out of the middles of the uh, uh, the posts, and then uh, I take the uh, dip tubes out, the the long one, the short one, and the the O rings off of that. And then uh, you know all those go into a bucket of warm PBW, get scrubbed, they soak for a good half hour, and the keg itself 
I've removed all those pieces of parts. Um, I give it a good rinse. Then I fill it up with warm uh, PBW uh, in the manufacturer's concentration, which is like a two-ounce scoop uh, or two ounces by weight, same thing, uh, into five gallons of water. Fill it up to the top, and I let that sit for a half an hour. And then uh, I pour that into the next keg. I'll use that, you know, for a good three, four kegs, uh, as long as the you know the kegs are fairly clean. And then, um, and also I do some scrubbing in between there. And uh, I take a, uh, a non-abrasive uh, Scotch uh, 3M pad and uh, uh, use that underneath the opening of the lid. Uh, yeah. Scrub mm-hmm. around there. Scrub around where the posts were. Scrub the tops and around that that area. And uh, dump that out, and then I, when you go to rinse it, you've, if you've used hot water with your PBW, you've got to use hot water when you rinse. Uh, if you use cold water, after following hot water, all the calcium in the uh, in the water is going to come out and form a scale, uh, and it's impossible to get off. Um, you know, once you get scale inside there, not impossible, but it's very difficult. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah, so you just want to rinse with hot water a couple times, uh, really thorough rinsing. Then I fill it up with, uh, once I've, sure I got all the PBW out of it, I fill it up with uh, cool uh, water and uh, star sand. And I use the manufacturer's uh, recommendation on star sand. You know what I do? Uh Uh-huh. At that point, um, because the star sand foam Mm -hmm. sanitizes as well as the liquid, Mm -hmm. I only put in about a couple quarts of star sand Mm -hmm. uh, solution. And then I uh, seal up the keg and shake it all around. Yeah, get you know, kind of foam it to sanitize it. Uh-huh. I, that, that'll work. Uh, I fill it all the way to the top and to where the foam comes out and it looks like Don King's hair. Ah, And then uh, it, it kind of falls over and covers the, uh, the, the screws, the screw threads of the uh, where the posts go on and get that entire top covered. And I let that sit for, for you know, 10, 15 minutes. Although, mm-hmm. you, know, it's, you know, contact time needs to only be, what, two, I think. And right. then uh, once that's done, I transfer that to the next keg. I leave it the keg one keg sitting on top of the other upside down, let it drip a bit. And I get out all my pieces parts. I put all those, you know, they're in a bucket of star sand. I put those in. And uh, actually, I put most of the pieces parts on before I invert it. I put the dip tubes in, all that stuff, and the posts on. And uh, then I invert it and drain that thing out. And then I put mm-hmm. the lid in, uh, last thing. So there's a, a little bit of star sand left in that, which I'll, I can dump before I put my beer in there. Um, one of the things about the posts and all, you know, one, the thing that drives me nuts is homebrew shops uh, providing these uh, those black rubber neoprene uh, uh, O-rings for the posts and for the dip tubes and really what you need is uh you know um they're made uh you know the they, i used to call them uh quad rings but they're uh they call them double seal i think uh o-rings those are the appropriate ones for the uh for the posts and um you know with those you can actually you know screw the, the post down finger tight and you get a perfect seal it will not. And how do they differ? Differ? Those differ from the regular O-ring. Uh, you know, there's, there's, they're, they've got a, a square body to them, and uh, okay. a a ceiling surface up at the top edge, and a ceiling surface at the bottom edge, and uh, they make a perfect seal on these things. And that's what was 
designed for these, and that's the original piece supplied on these, and they weren't the, just the regular round O-rings. And, uh, you know, what I find is, you know, people use those regular O-rings and they're cranking down on those posts with a wrench trying to get them to seal because they, they end up leaking. And, um, you know, those are stainless threads. You're galling the threads. You're just destroying those, those stainless threads by doing that. And, um, you know, they're just going to get looser and looser and looser. And, you know, eventually your keg's going to be no good. If you use the right seal... And, uh, you know, the right amount of, uh, uh, you know, force to, to uh, you know, torque these things down, that keg will last forever, you know. Uh, and so, you know, it's cheap uh, uh, to, to buy these things. I mean, they don't cost that much. And, again, I've, I've finger-tightened the, the, the uh, posts down. I've forgotten to, to, you know, snug them a little bit with a wrench, and they seal perfectly. And, uh, you know, later on, I'm able to remove them, you know, finger tight. And these types of seals are available? I, I bought mine by the baggie uh, from McMaster Car. I think okay. some homebrew shops are selling them. Uh, you know, if you can get them through your homebrew shop, encourage your homebrew shop to get them. Uh, I've posted on uh, some forums uh, before, uh, several forums, and I think people have carried that information forward to other forums about the, the sizes and uh and materials the other thing is the uh on the post that's a silicone uh o-ring that they use on those i believe and um you know if you use those one they go on and off easier and um uh the the uh the connectors go on and off easier and they make a nice perfect seal and if you if you uh respect your seals like that you'll get a you know you won't have any problems with leakage and that's one of the things about uh yeah, you know, when you're kegging, if your CO2 is leaking back out, um, you know, you're going to have a hard time uh, uh, getting proper carbonation. And, and you'll blow through, a, 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 you know, a cylinder of uh, CO2 awfully fast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, any leaks, you don't want any leaks. And uh, that's the most common leakage area. So, all right, so... That's how I clean my kegs and, and sanitize. And then, um, you know, uh, I guess you use the auto siphon. Me, I use a piece of vinyl tubing um, when, we're, when we're racking to, uh, to the keg. Uh, what, what tips do you have for people, John, getting the beer into the keg? What, I mean, should I, do I need to be really careful? What, what, uh, what do I need to look out for? What should I focus on? Well, the... Anytime you're filling a keg or a, or a bottling bucket or anything like that, you know, when you're exposing the beer to air, you know, get, get the end of the hose underneath the surface as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lift up the keg if the hose is too short. Uh, seems to be a common problem for me, maybe not you, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, get, get, the, See, get the end of the... now you're doing it. I've infected you. Yeah. Oh, I was, you know, while you were talking a minute ago, all I could think about was the penguin and ice cream joke. So, um, but, you know, get the hose underneath the liquid, the level of the liquid and reduce the turbulence so that you're not really exposing the, mm-hmm. uh, the beer to the air. Um, it helps to purge the keg with CO2. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got, got your CO2 hooked up, um, what I do is I'll, I'll quickly uh, hook up the, the CO2 to the liquid side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it blows the CO2 down to the bottom of the keg and kind of pushes the air out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of purge the keg, put the lid in halfway, um, 
Well, you when know, you're talking about hooking it up to the liquid side, it's don't completely connect it to the liquid side because uh, it'll often get stuck. Yeah. Right? So just kind of hold the hold the the deep ball. If you're doing a ball lock, hold the ball detents up and and just kind of yeah, kind of press it there, press it there, and let it, the gas flow, and then pull it off. Yeah. If you completely connect it, it's gonna lock on there with those ball locks. Yeah. Same with the same with the pin lock. There, you've actually got to switch the uh, fitting, mm. uh, so you can do that. But because um, uh, the liquid, the gas side is two pins, and the liquid side is three pins. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you can slip it over and and just kind of purge the keg for a minute or two, mm-hmm. kind of get get some air exchange, and then uh, take it off and then start filling. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the auto siphon. Um, larger is better. Uh, they they. Auto siphon or other racking canes, you can get them in like a you know three eighths inch or a half inch. Mm-hmm. Um, the half inch you know fills faster, mm-hmm. um, and you know you can reduce the time the con- the air contact time of your beer by you know filling a little faster um, that way. Well, one thing I like to do is uh, with the lid, the keg lid. I put the keg lid in there, and mm-hmm. then I just kind of set it askew a little bit. Right. Uh, so the that gap. The, yeah, so that the hose is passing through that gap and and filling and and preventing any dust. Now, uh, Chris Graham at More Beer, uh, he was all about uh, you know they work in a real dusty environment there, and there's grain and you know milling going on twenty four seven. JP and, and they've got JP, and uh, so you know he was all about uh, figuring out a way to transfer beer with no exposure to the air so they were doing all closed transfers and they figured out ways to uh, uh, go in through the beer outside and um, uh, ah. you know they'd set up a like a carboy cap and very gently <laughs> pressurize the uh, the uh, yeah the um, uh, the carboy to you know drive the uh, the beer over through the the lines into the uh, into the keg and uh you know he would have a completely closed transfer i think that's ideal uh yeah. me i'm just so darn lazy that uh i never really got into it but i think that you know if you're having any any uh questions as to your ability to keep dust and and stuff like the contaminants out of your beer uh during transfers which is a very common time to uh you know contaminate your beer i'd look into that kind of closed transfer and i think that yeah. that would be a a good thing to do well, you can also take a, a lazy man's approach and just throw a, a sheet of clean newspaper over the top while you're uh, transferring. You know, um, mm-hmm. yeast or I mean, not, not yeast, dust falls down. Right. So if you kind of, I, I usually actually I use saran wrap, but um, you know, wraps, put some plastic wrap around the top of the keg as you're racking, keep mm-hmm. the dust out. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good way to prevent contamination. And the wrap is nice because you can see through it. And uh, you know, I yeah. always. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I want to see when the beer is getting close to the the top of the keg because you don't want it overflowing and making a mess. Ideally, you want to stop it before it reaches that uh, gas in dip tube. Yeah, uh, that's right. You know, but uh, it's not critical if you do one way or another. But uh, you know, you're supposed to stop it before that, and then uh, you know, seal it up. Um, you know, once you've sealed it. Transferred your beer once you uh, you know seal the the keg, you know don't shake it around because uh, there's oxygen in the top. Although some CO two has come out, but uh, you want to hook up the gas to it, and then um, 
uh, you know, if you're getting purge a, the headspace, you know, purge the headspace. If you're getting difficulty getting a seal on that that keg lid, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, you you can spray some sanitizer on the top, see if you see any bubbles. Uh, what I what I've done a couple times is, um, you know, when when it doesn't seem to seal right, you can either kind of readjust it, but they they tend to you know fall in place. You can rotate it around so it's facing the other direction. Sometimes that helps. But the other thing is, um, you know how those those bailing uh, levers on the uh, on the lids uh, to hold it shut. If you pull that to where it's standing straight up and down. It actually puts a little more force on that lid and pulls it shut a little bit better. You can also lift up on that if you want. And, uh, you know, you put CO2 in then, and that tends to make it seal. And once it's sealed and you got good pressure in there, it'll hold the seal. It won't, uh, you know, loosen up again. But sometimes it takes a little extra force up on the lid to, to get a good seal on the keg. Yeah. A lot of my pinlock kegs uh, don't have a pressure release valve in the lid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, will hook up uh, the gas and gap the lid a little bit, and you know, vent the headspace that way. Uh, you know, turn on turn on the gas real low, mm-hmm. just you know, like five psi or something, just to help purge out that headspace before I seal it up. Uh, um, but it, but if you've got a if you've got a lid that has a a relief valve in the lid, then you can you know do that after the fact. Just uh, open that and vent it for a little for a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Vent that headspace, and that that does a lot to help you know keep oxygen out and help your long term storage. Right. Well, and uh, now uh, we we did a, sh- a show on uh, the perfect pour. Uh, you can go back through the Brew Strong archives at thebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, you can see those uh, the, the, all the archive shows, and you can find that one. And we talk. Uh, in, at more length about uh, kegging and, and, and carbonation and, and, and all that. But one thing I wanted to mention, uh, I think we need to cover here, is um, the uh, if I want to naturally carbonate uh, or bottle keg condition uh, my beer, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. how do I calculate out the, the sugar needs for that? Is it, you know, it's the exact same thing as you do for bottles, or is it slightly different? Or yeah, it, it all scales linearly. So, um, if you're looking at a priming chart for you know five gallons of beer, mm-hmm. um, that translates right up to five, five gallons, gallons of beer. Cake. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Same, same, same. Okay. Um, and uh, you uh, you can just uh, put that in the bottom and run your beer in and. And off you go for some yep. fresh yeast, if if needed. If needed, yeah. Okay. What um, now? What about uh, uh, you know getting it to carbonate and getting the lid to seal and all that? Um, well, uh, you may you you probably want to put a little bit of um, like say five pounds in the headspace to uh, get that lid to seal. Right. Um, Initially, and you're going to want to, you're going to want to shake the keg up to distribute that sugar a bit mm-hmm. um, after you, after you've ke- you know filled the keg and closed it. Right. But um, you know that if you leave that you know like I like we said sixty to eighty degrees mm-hmm. and let that that should naturally carbonate and pressurize. Right. Um, and, and if you don't check to make sure your keg has no leaks, um, yeah. you know when you go to do a natural carbonation. 
uh, you're going to end up, uh, it won't carbonate at all. It's all going to leak out, won't it? Right. Yeah, so you you know, want a little little bit of gas in the headspace to keep that lid you know, tightly sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you shake it around, you should not see beer you know, or bubbles leaking out of any of your fittings. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that's kind of a given. Okay. But, uh, now, what about uh, if you're, you're hooking this up to, to carbonate and then uh, uh, some people like to shake the daylights out of it to uh, speed up carbonation? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, good, bad? Indifferent? Well, it, it definitely helps speed up the carbonation. Um, you know, you can, if you, if you leave like two or three inches of headspace in that keg and uh, crank up the pressure to like 30, 40 psi um, and rock it, um, you know, you and just, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, take the thing in both arms and shake it back and forth. Um, but uh, if you just, you know, hook up the gas and rock the keg back and forth, get some agitation going. Mm-hmm. You can hear the gas going in, you know, through the regulator. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it let you know it'll it'll pressurize, it'll fill up, and get you know you'll hear the regulator kind of taper off. Mm-hmm. Let it sit for an hour too, and then come back and rock it again, and you'll hear it. You know, you'll hear it uh, pressurizing more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the if you if you shake it too much. Um, I don't know what percentage and how much of a real problem this is, but you will be, you know, degrading some of your foam proteins. Mm-hmm. You know, foam only once. They, uh, mm-hmm. cons- you know, if you, if you overdid it, you know, too much, then you could, you know, take a lot of your head, your, uh, your head stability out of the beer. Right. Those but proteins d- actually denature when they form the, the bubbles. Yeah. I, I, I doubt you're going to have a horrible problem with that, yeah. you know, just right. trying to keg your beer, but. Still, some something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know I'm I'm again lazy. I just hook it up to gas and leave it. And yeah, I'll come exactly. back in a week. And <laughs> you know the the other advantage is, um, you know, there's other there's a lot of particulate matter in in uh, a, a green beer, and you let it you know just let the beer sit you know steady and cold for a week, and you know that that stuff tends to uh, tends to fall out and it really improves head retention and uh, beer flavor right. and things like that so uh, i wouldn't be that that uh eager to uh, you know get it get it uh drinking right away unless you you're out of beer i guess okay is there anything else uh we should cover on this uh before we go on to the next show which is going to all be about uh what about uh, counter pressure uh, filling well, what about the little air stones that you can put on the uh, the gas side? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Do you use those? No. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> sure it helps, you know, carbonate faster maybe. But, uh, again, uh, you know, like you're saying, if you crank it up to 30, 40 PSI and just wiggle the, the keg or even just, just you yeah. know, tap the top of the keg to disturb the surface, you know, you can yeah. carbonate that thing in uh, within a couple hours. hours. Yeah. yeah, you know, it'll, it'll carbonate pretty fast, depending on what level of carbonation you want. And then, uh, you know, some people, yeah, they put it on the side and they roll it and all that stuff. I don't I really wouldn't do that, um, but that's just me. Um, you know, you don't want to get uh, uh, anything going up your uh, gas lines and, and stuff like that. That's true. Yep. 
Okay. Well, if you think that's it, uh, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we will uh, get into uh, questions from the chat, and then uh, we'll wrap this this part of our gasm. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Cutting edge equipment from Blickman Engineering is designed by brewers to make your brew day shorter, more enjoyable, and to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer. A brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Hey, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. 
Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. (laughs) What? Ah. Mother White Labs. It's all in the vial. This Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Blue Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. Woohoo! It's getting warm in the studio. It's starting to put me to sleep. It's sleepy. Ah, all right. So we're talking uh, packaging and uh, kegging and all that. Anything else to add, uh, John? Before we go and get on to the questions. Well, I guess maybe we probably should see what the questions are, but I was thinking, um, you know, should we touch on the regulators or, uh, you know, beer line or, uh, you know, the gas line splitting, kegerators kind of thing? Uh, didn't we cover that in uh, the... Uh, I don't know. Did we? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, well, go, folks, go back to that show and uh, see if we covered well, it. If we didn't, yeah. uh, I guess us, one, one thing I can steer everybody to real quick is... Uh, Page 299, Appendix D in Brewing Classic Styles, has um, a uh, pressure and volumes of CO2 chart in it. Mm-hmm. So, and this works for you interna- international listeners, too. Um, we've got uh, temperatures in both F and C, and uh, pressures in both PSI and kilopascals, or KPA. And uh, if you want to set up, say, two and a half volumes of CO2 at 55 degrees or 13 C, then you need 20 PSI or 138 kilopascals uh, to reach two and a half volumes of CO2 in your keg. So it's a handy little table, and it's right there in Bring Classic Styles. All right. Justin, questions from the chat. Yeah, one question uh, that's that's come up during these shows a couple of times I want to make sure we get in is, how about uh, croissoning? Croissoning. Good question. Ah, uh, yes. Right. So, um, what about croissoning? Now, now isn't that uh, where you take uh, uh, fermenting beer or, uh, you know, uh, still active beer and add a little portion of that to the... Uh, to do yeah. it and, and use that for carbonation? Uh, yeah. There's, I don't, I, I don't have any, I've never written about it myself. Um, I don't know that you have either, but there are, if you look on the internet, there are mm-hmm. uh, articles and, um, you know, probably Brew Your Own or Zymergy. Right. Well, um, and, um, what's his name? Uh, Kai, Brew, Brew Kaiser. He has a, yeah. a good croisoning section on his website there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, go and check that out. Uh, I think it's what, brewkaiser.com or something like that? Yeah, or that's it, 
I don't know. But uh, yeah, do a search on that. Uh, and uh, I thought he had a pretty good write-up on, on croisoning. The benefit uh, of croisoning is that you're introducing active yeast and fermentables into the beer mm-hmm. that will you know use up any any oxygen that you've um, you know got in the beer you know trying to in in racking from the keg to the or from the fermenter to the keg mm-hmm. um, you'll use up that oxygen and uh, the active the more active yeast will uh, also reduce some of your uh, the green beer character mm-hmm. so it's it's a way to really achieve a more flavor stable mm-hmm. uh, batch mm-hmm. um, and add natural carbonation if if that's what your your aim is i mean really historically you know they didn't have forced carbonation capability mm-hmm. and the poisoning could, yeah they couldn't add just sugar because that wasn't part of the beer for the rein heights Right. right, so they so poisoning was the way they carbonated a keg, mm-hmm. but um, we and we and really we, what well, we we touched upon uh, this show and last show, in terms of you know if your beer is sat for a month or so in the in the fermenter, and now you want to you know bottle condition that beer, mm-hmm. um, you know add some active yeast. You know right. we talked about adding you know adding a fresh yeast starter. Mm-hmm. You know, with a little bit of fermentable with your prime and sugar, that, that's really croisoning there. It's it's maybe a, a little different method of doing it, but it still amounts to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, quite a useful method. I think it's. Um, I guess you, you do it even when when you're bottling. Uh, put it in the bottling bucket and, and go that yeah. route. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and kegging. So. You know, quite a useful uh, way. I think the, the reason more people don't do it is they don't have, like, an active beer to pull some croissant from, and it's a different beer. But I think we gave some ideas for doing it uh, without it, using, uh, you know, sugar and your yeast and getting it active and then putting it in. Uh, right. Maybe that's, you know, similar. And uh, uh, I think, uh, again, on the Brew Kaiser site, he's got uh, calculations for how much you need and things like that. It's a uh, mm-hmm. pretty good write-up. All right. Uh, what's our next one? So, in packaging, how about uh, you know? You guys talked about uh, capping, Emily capping, mm-hmm. you know, using the Emily capper. What about corking? Corking. Yes. Uh, corking bottles. Just just different aspects of that. Um, we, we were talking about oxygen permeability. Right, uh, right. So, what are some of the aspects of corking? Uh, let's see. Um, you gotta. Well, you gotta get the cork in, cork in the bottle. They have the natural corks. They got the synthetic corks. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things about corks that they want is oxygen permeability. I think. Okay. And um, you know, in beer, generally you don't. I mean, I guess if you have a beer that you want some oxygen uh, to seep in and uh, you know affect it, then then you would. Otherwise. Um, you know, you can stick with crown caps. There's corks that you can uh, fully insert in the bottle and then cover with a crown cap. Okay. And yeah. uh, kind of do both. And then seal it in wax, make a wax candle at it. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably the best of all worlds. Um, yeah. And then Corking's most appropriate to your Belgian styles and your, mm-hmm. some of your sour beers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, where oxygen helps develop the flavor, especially if, like, uh, you know, some of these companies, they, they package with some brett, and then yeah. uh, you want a little bit of oxygen to get in there, a micro amount of oxygen, uh, that can be helpful, you know, to be corked as well. So on a homebrew level, is the equipment more intensive than just capping? 
Um, no, it's similar. They have, you know, like the Emily Capper of corking. Okay. You know, red plastic, uh, Italian made, I think it is. And, uh, you know, they squeeze, you have to squeeze the cork to get it into the, into the bottle. And, um, generally you, um, you, you know, it's, it's a little trickier than capping. If you ask me, capping is super simple and easy and good, easy to get good results with every time but corking can be tricky to get the full cork completely into the bottle unless you buy you know one of those floor corkers those work really well and then you know your supply of corks you know they tend to each supply of corks tends to be a little different um you know so uh that that can be is tricky the cork as well. wet when you put it in or is it dry yeah it's wet uh so you know you you tend to uh put the corks in a uh a solution of uh whatever, you know, sanitizer, you know, that they use in winemaking and then uh then you put it in the in the corker and then, you know, insert it in. And that helps to lube it up a little bit, but uh, uh yeah, I don't know. Anything to add to that, John? No, I I've never no, I've never corked a beer before myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, um and you know, the natural corks uh, you know, they impart a little bit of flavor sometimes, you know, especially if they're the corks that are corked, you know, get that mm-hmm. mold growing on them. Yeah, synthetic corks probably don't have Fungus the uh, oxygen, the micro-oxygen permeability that the natural corks do, I would think. Well, they, they make some that have, you know, that that do the same amount of oxygen on purpose oh, okay. because, you know, the winemakers want, you know, some oxygen to get in. Right. The other okay. thing about, uh, you know, uh, corking a beer is... Um, you know, I have heard say that uh, you know, on wines, you want to lay the bottle down, you want to keep the cork wet, et cetera, et cetera. And I've, you know, gotten plenty of bottles of beer uh, that with corks in them that say specifically, keep it stored upright and don't lay it down. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, you know, because the, the, one of the reasons you want to keep the cork wet is so it doesn't dry out and shrink. And then, you know, you end up with, uh, you know, a lot of oxygen getting in. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. I've heard the same thing, and I've heard that it. The only explanation I've heard is it is that it has to do that because that cork, that bottle is under pressure, whereas hmm. wine is not. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know how that relates to keeping the cork dry in a beer, <laughs> right. but that was the explanation that that I was given. Huh. I've also never seen a synthetic cork in a beer, and I've had right, a lot. Right, I've had right. quite a lot of corked beers, but I don't know that I've ever seen one. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't think I have either. And I wonder if it's because most of the corked beers are from Belgium um, and well, Europe in general. And I right. wonder if synthetic isn't as popular over there as it is here with wine. Because synthetic corks with wine are very popular in the States now. Right, right. I've, I've had a lot of synthetic corks in Russian River, I think. Oh, is that right? Yeah, Port, Russian River. Okay. Um, they must be yeah, sending so you the cheap stuff. <laughs> well, when you, when you get the, when you get the, like, the, the 750s. Yeah, okay. Uh, and or the you know larger, I mean, well, uh, I th- those have yeah. Th- you know, I, I think uh, you know Vinny's real in tune with the uh, wine industry as well. So yeah, you know, I'm sure he realizes yeah, synthetic is is a good way to go, and you know, okay, willing to do it maybe. Huh. All right, couple more questions from the chat. Um, you know, you talked about for for carbonating the bottle, kind of raising those temperatures, having them pretty warm. And the listener wants to know: Will carbonating in the bottle at those higher temperatures? add excessive ester flavors uh, to the beer? No, it won't. The You do get a different character to the beer from, by bottle conditioning versus kegging. 
that I mean there it, there's a subtle difference, but doing it warm versus doing it cooler, you're not there's not enough sugar, not enough um, real you know fermentation going on to change the character profoundly. Um, it's gonna, it's going to be subtle, right? What, what I, hap- I wouldn't worry about it. You know, ester production is related to yeast growth. So if the yeast aren't growing, they're not producing any esters. Okay. So you get so such little growth that you're really not going to produce any esters. You know, they they produce the compounds that become esters, the the acids and the fusel alcohols, and later combine to become esters. You know, so little is happening there. You can do it real warm and and not really yeah. run into a problem. Okay, and so that's why you've said to me that even in fermentation, that uh, I'm I'm really only super concerned with my temperature in those first couple of days when right. there's when there's right. growth, and after right. that, it, I, the temp could raise a bit, and it wouldn't. Exactly. Yeah, the, it's it's when the yeast are growing that you need to worry about it, and then once the growth is done, then they reach that stationary phase. They're fermenting, and it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you keep the yeast active, so you don't want the temperature to drop. You can go ahead and raise it, but don't let it drop. Just you know, keep it steady or rising, and you know your beer will be good. It's those first few days. That's why I don't like to pitch warm and then cool it down and mm-hmm. you know, go back up and things like that. Okay. All right, and uh, last question from the chat. You were talking about fill levels earlier, John Palmer. So uh, what is considered appropriate? What's a low fill and what's a high fill? Um, A high fill is like a quarter inch from the top. A low fill is an inch and a half, you know, headspace. Well, and, you know, if you look at commercial beers, there's a certain standard. And if you actually, those 12-ounce bottles hold more than 12 ounces. You know, 12 yeah. ounces is, you know, somewhere like halfway down the neck. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's a that's like the, the fill level at 12 yeah, ounces. About an inch, inch and a quarter, something yeah. like that is probably typical of right. commercial fill. And if you, if you want to know what, you know, fill level is right, measure out exactly 12 ounces of water, fill the bottle, you know, the 12-ounce bottle, see where that line is? That's 12 ounces. That's actually the appropriate fill level for, for commercial beers. Easy enough. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Good idea. Yeah. And then the commercial brewers tend to fill them a little higher than that. Yeah. Just because they don't want to, you know, if you provide less than the product states, can't provide too much more because then they get in trouble too. So Right. Well, and us consumers are tough on that too. We don't want right. to perceive right. that we've been gypped. Right. But if they start putting like 13 ounces in a bottle, yeah. then I'm sure they run into like, you know, problems with the uh, the governing bodies. uh saying, oh, they're giving away you know, more beer than they're supposed to be giving away, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Okay, that was it from the chat room, guys. All right. Great show. I think uh, we learned quite a bit about uh, packaging, and we're going to have yet another uh, show in this package-gasm. Yep. So if you Talk stay tuned. Yeah. Go ahead, John. We're going to talk about counter-pressure filling, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, now you get the beer in the keg. Big question, how do you get into the bottle? We're going to do a whole show about uh, transferring beer from keg, already carbonated, to the bottle and uh, getting good results. We're going to talk about all the methods we can think about. We even got an expert that designed one of these these uh, methods. He's going to join us. Uh, it's going to be a good show. I'm, I'm excited to, to do it. I've done a lot of uh, counter-pressure filling over the years, so uh, I got my all my techniques lined up as well. Cool. If you get a chance, uh, you know, check out our fine sponsors, BlickmanEngineering.com. Check out the Brewing Network store. 
uh, thebrewingnetwork.com. We've got uh, Brew Strong shirts, we got hats, we got uh, glassware, we got books, we got all sorts of good stuff there. Uh, check out BYO, uh, BYO.com, or you know, click on the uh, BYO uh, logo there on the Brewing Network site, and that way, uh, half that sus- subscription price goes to the Brewing Network and uh, uh, helps us out quite a bit. Uh, let's see. We got uh, the NHC coming up. Get yourself out to Minneapolis. Come join us. We're gonna have a party. We're gonna have the uh, the Brewing an- Brewing Network anniversary party, fifth uh, anniversary anniversary. We're gonna all be there. What night uh, is it gonna be? We're gonna do some live shows. Uh, it's going to be Wednesday, I believe. Wednesday the sixteenth. And tickets are available in the store right now. Ooh. VIP tickets, even VIP tickets. The Brewing Network store. I, I think there's only like there. thirty left or something. Oh, yeah. You better get there. Get those tickets now. And uh, like I always say, uh, make sure you uh, brew, brew often, and uh, snap yourself off a nice fresh piece. (laughs) Brew strong, everybody.